1: Behind the Knife: The Surgery Podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to introduce the third edition of the Behind the Knife Absite Podcast Companion. This latest version offers enhanced images, with immersive audio content for each section making it an unparalleled educational resource. We've expanded our content with new chapters covering topics like MIS, oncology, OBGYN, urology and more. You can find the book in both print and ebook formats on Amazon. Get ready to elevate your knowledge and achieve top absite scores with the all new Behind the Knife Absite podcast companion an indispensable partner on your path to surgical excellence. Good luck on the upcoming AppSite exam and dominate the day. Uh, welcome back to another edition of Behind the Knife. This is your hernia team from Carolina's Medical Center. Um, I am Sullivan Ayuso. I'm one of the chief residents here at Carolina's Medical Center. I'm joined again by Professors uh, Todd Henneford and, uh, and Vedra Augenstein, as well as Dr. Monica Poltz who is uh, recently out of fellowship and in transitioning into practice in South Florida. So today, um, we're very excited to do our first journal review episode. Um, we're going to be discussing a couple of papers, and the topic for us is uh, near and dear to our program is going to be artificial intelligence in hernia. And so we'll start off with Dr. Henniford, um, kind of talking to a little bit about why we've gotten interested in artificial intelligence, Dr. Henneford. Thanks,
2: Sally, And uh, welcome, everyone. For, for the most part, you know, artificial intelligence is super hot of course, but you know, we wandered into this and got into this over the last few years. But what we really wanted to do, the backbone of what we wanted to do is make information actionable. We've collected data on patients prospectively, and we have more than 20,000 patients that we've interacted with, collected data on, operated on, and we've written a lot of papers about that. But the problem is when people read papers, what do you take from that? Sometimes people just read the abstract, physicians will get into the paper. There's certain things that we'll remember not remember. And then if we all read the same paper, what we would do with that information is all different. So then the real consideration of like how do we impact here for the best is making this information good data first. You have to have great data and you have to have real data. And then after that, it's just making it actionable. So what we tried to do early on years ago is we made mathematical models and made apps out of them. So if people have ever seen our SQL app, which measures the chance of people developing or patients developing chronic discomfort after any more repair, that's a mathematical equation. It is super complex, and it involves about uh, 1.7 million data points from uh, about uh, 2,000 patients. And I think it's very accurate. Actually, it is really quite accurate. Uh, and then we developed an, an app, the Cedar app looking at wound-related complications, one of the biggest problems that we have with abdominal reconstruction. Again, looking at 500 patients, lots and lots of data, and once you have lots of data with long-term follow-up and good data, then you can make start to make things actionable. The next step in this would be artificial intelligence. And so being able to take specific information and make it super easy for patients and physicians, both, to translate really good data into what's going to happen to me or what's going to happen to my patients. And the transition of this for us was very stepwise. We actually had really good information looking at computer imaging, excuse me, CT imaging of patients, and then translating that into wound complications, pulmonary failure, and then readmissions and those sorts of things. But the problem is, is that. It was, you could say, well, this patient is at risk, but you really didn't know how at risk the patient was. And could we do better? And so Solia Yuzo and Sharbel uh, Elhash started this program at our institution and moved into looking at artificial intelligence. And that really has taken us to what I believe is a, kind of the next level of making this information actionable for physicians and patients.
1: Dr. Augustine, we'll talk a little bit exactly what, you know, artificial intelligence means. It seems like this is a catchment term that's thrown around a lot. So could you kind of give us a little bit of overview from your perspective um, as to what AI means, at least to you?
0: Thank you so much, Sally. So artificial intelligence is not a very specific term. Generally, artificial intelligence refers to computer systems that mimic the cognitive functions of humans. So it takes advantage of algorithms and decision trees in order to perform complex decision making and was first used in medicine to actually aid in diagnosis of disease. Uh, So machine learning can map outputs into categories into supervised or unsupervised fashion, uh, depending on when the computer is fed certain inputs. In deep learning, there's absolutely no reinforcement by humans, but rather the computer learns to weigh the inputs on its own, similar to a neural network, and categorize outputs. In this episode, we'll be spending time reviewing two papers, which are the first papers in hernia that focus on outcome prediction using AI models.
2: So, real quick, Sully, can I just like, can I ask you, put that in more layman's terms about how you train a computer to learn like a human?
1: So, basically, when you train a model using deep learning or machine learning, It is taking advantage of certain inputs, and that can be in the form of data, that can be in the form of imaging, or anything really that represents information. And so, you know, at least in the things that we've done, it is able to synthesize what is exactly important about those data points. And then once it does that, it is able to train itself based on the information that it has, and then apply that information to new contexts. And that is really the essence of. You know how you know we're able to develop these really robust models that can ultimately you know help us with clinical practice so monica do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about our first paper and the study design for that that we're going to be uh, going over
3: sure thanks sully um, so the first paper we'll review today was actually published by our group and spearheaded by Charbel El hodge who's now a plastic surgery resident at the university of pennsylvania uh, this paper is titled Development and Validation of Image-Based Deep Learning Models to Predict Surgical Complexity and Complications in Abdominal Wall Reconstruction, and this was published in JAMA Surgery in 2021. This was the first paper to really explore machine learning in abdominal wall reconstruction, and the goal is to see whether unsupervised deep learning models could be created to accurately predict intra- and postoperative outcomes in abdominal wall reconstruction based only on preoperative CT images. Uh, like Dr. Henniford mentioned earlier, CMC has for many years maintained an institutional database, which is prospectively updated by dedicated research staff, and this has spanned over 20 years and thousands of patients. And as a relatively standard part of the preoperative workup for complex hernia patients, many of these patients have preoperative CT scans. Sully, can you talk us through some of the considerations when designing the study in these models?
1: Yeah, so I think the first step for um, our group in this paper was really defining what complications and what outcomes of hernia that we wanted to study. Right, what was going to benefit patients both from you know a preoperative um, decision making standpoint, and then ultimately look at the risk for patients that are you know developing specific complications. So uh, intraoperatively, we wanted to know who um, could potentially be at risk for needing a component separation, and then postoperatively. Um, we wanted to look specifically at um, surgical site infection, as well as pulmonary complications. And so, again, we have the luxury of having this database that expands over 20 years. All of these patients are prehabilitated, so that definitely played into to the, uh, the models that we developed. So, the patients were in, identified from our institution-specific database. They're all operated on by expert hernia surgeons considering we were looking at one of the outcomes being a requirement for intraoperative component separation, we did exclude patients who had Botox that was injected preoperatively. So we developed deep learning models for each of these three things, component separation, which was a surrogate for surgical complexity. And then we developed two models, one for pulmonary failure, which we defined as a requirement of mechanical intubation or positive pressure Transferred to the ICU following surgery and surgical site infection. And for that, we use the Centers for Disease Control criteria for both superficial and deep um, surgical site infections. And so these deep learning uh, models, uh, we were able to um, splice CT imaging into five millimeter cuts and then render this imaging into convolutional neural network, which was eight layers in total And these models were trained using the CT images, which just identified the hernia. So this was not the entire cut of the CT abdomen. It was just the hernia. And then 80% of these images were used for the training of the model. And then 20% was used for an internal testing. And this is very similar to a lot of deep learning models that have been developed previously for diagnosis of disease. So our primary outcome was a receiver operating curve value, which allowed us to best assess the diagnostic ability of these deep learning uh, models. Sensitivity, specificity, and accuracy were also measured. I think interestingly in our paper, we were able to um, look at the predictive ability of a deep learning model for predicting the need potentially for an intraoperative component separation. And what we did was we compared that to expert prediction from other abdominal wall surgeons throughout the world who were specialty trained in abdominal wall surgery. To see based on their assessment of the preoperative CT scan, would a patient need a component separation? And then we compared the performance of those expert surgeons with our deep learning models that we developed. And so the results were quite interesting. And Dr. Ogdenstein can talk a little bit about these.
0: Yeah, so in total, uh, we used 369 patients, which totaled over 9,000 total images. Uh, since most patients had about 20 to 30 images uh, that were actually fed into the deep learning model. Uh, the component separation model and the surgical site infection model uh, performed where, per, where pulmonary failure was not successful in the outcome prediction. The ROC value for the component separation model was 0.74, and those for SSI and pulmonary failure were 0.89 and 0.54, respectfully. So the accuracies for these models were 76%, 81, and 77 But the pulmonary model was only 26% sensitive, which led to the lack of its robustness. So the authors theorized that the pulmonary failure did not perform as well because it did not have as many instances to learn from or during the development of the model. Specifically, pulmonary failure only occurred about 8% in our patients in comparison uh, to 29% for component separation and 22% for pulmonary failure. Uh, so in a no- novel test of 35 random patients, the uh, deep learning model developed for predicting component separation actually outperformed expert surgeons. So the deep learning model was 15 percent more accurate than the surgeons in predicting whether or not the patient would need a component separation. And each of these expert surgeons, interestingly, were fellowship trained in abdominal wall reconstruction.
2: Thanks, to So. I think there's a couple of things that's actually pretty cool about this. And one of the things that needs to be emphasized, I believe, is that these patients were prehabilitated. So diabetes, you know, maximizing weight loss, and also non-smoking patients for at least four weeks prior to their surgery. And so given that, and it's the wound implications, then you, just, you start to take some of the things that would cause wound complications off the table. And then it makes the CT more accurate, of course. The other consideration of this is, uh, as Vedra mentioned, is when we redid, we gave the computer model additional CT scans and then compared them to expert surgeons predicting component separation. Again, the computer was able to predict in a new set of images you know, very accurately whether someone would need a component separation. Over 80% of the time, it was correct, whereas the surgeons were correct about 65% of the time. And so it, it really is very cool. And, and I think the surgeons were actually really surprised and were competing with the AI. So what does this mean for us? You know, for, for the most part, it, I think it proves the concept that we can actually predict wound-related complications and the need for component separation in patients looking at CAM scans. It also, you know and, and I'll tell you that the fellows who did this, the research fellows who did this, were disappointed in the the, the ability to p- predict pulmonary failure. Whereas before, our ability to pick pulmonary failure was less than 7% correct, and these guys was, was over 50% correct. So if I could actually tell a patient, you got a 50% chance of developing pulmonary failure after this, I'm, a, I'm thinking it's actually pretty good, but these guys thought it was not acceptable, and I think Sully will get into that in just a few minutes about how to, you know, I thought it was great, Sully made it better. So what happens in the future with this and, and the implications of this is, and I've always said, I believe the best hernia repair is done at home. Good surgeons should do hernia repairs in the local community. But I think one of the things that's super exciting about this is surgeons making decisions about who you send to a tertiary care center. Patients who have, are at risk of pulmonary failure, and again, we'll talk about that in, again in a minute, patients who need complex operations such as uh, component separation at the time of surgery, and then also patients who are at high risk of wound complications. And so this is the first go at this. Uh, and in other otherwise too, it helps us consent patients. It helps us also make patients better patients somehow to avoid these complications, including pulmonary failure and and wound complications. So next, what we have to do is we have to use external data, and we're working with Jeff Janis at Ohio State. And just and I'm, I, I can't give that information yet, but it actually is working pretty pretty darn well with Jeff and his prehabilitated patients uh, in predicting wound-related complications. And so next, I'm going to turn this over to Sully to talk about rare outcomes. And again, these are things that don't happen very often, but are super important. And so when we actually train the computer in things that happen fairly frequently, like wound complications and the need for component separations in these complex patients, the AI, the deep learning model, can learn from that because they happen frequently. But when things don't happen frequently, it doesn't give... The AI model much of a chance to learn from it, and, and and am I right with that, Sully?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I think what we're doing with artificial intelligence kind of sums up what we try to do as a group, which is uh, continuously strive for making things better and improving the quality of the science that we can ultimately apply to patients. And so we did publish a follow up article to the one that um, we just briefly discussed, looking at specifically predicting rare outcomes. And so we had uh, you know, a, an outcome that we were not able to predict as well as component separation or surgical site infection, which was pulmonary failure. And then mesh infection is obviously a devastating complication that can happen after abdominal wall reconstruction and ultimately lead patients to have prolonged um, connection with the healthcare system, subsequent operations, and can be debilitating from a lifelong standpoint. And so the mesh infection occurs in about a couple of percent of our patients in our database, pulmonary failure, as Dr. Henniford said, about seven to 8% of the patients. And so we worked specifically with data scientists and and artificial intelligence analysts who kind of help do a literature review and come up with certain ways that we could potentially improve model performance. And so what we did is two things. We actually trained these models to um, recognize normal, so patients that did not go on to develop these complications obviously occurred much more frequently, and so the models could be trained in in a more efficient manner to recognize this. And then the second thing we did is we used uh, computer technologies to generate um, even more examples of these normal outcomes. And so ultimately this led to really robust models and these new algorithms would recognize an abnormal image, which is really a fascinating concept. Um, and in this follow-up paper, we were able to significantly improve our ability to predict pulmonary failure and in mesh infection in comparison to the initial models that we created. And so this is kind of one of the things that we've done. Dr. Henniford alluded to our external validation of these uh, data sets that we can hopefully use on, uh, you know, patients uh, in other settings And so, you know, that's still to come, but um, hopefully we can get that work out soon. Um, So now we'll turn it over uh, back to you, uh, Monica, for uh, the second paper that we're gonna briefly discuss. This is a little bit of change in direction, um, but this paper is from uh, Dr. Uh, Butler's group at MD Anderson in Texas.
3: Sally, Um, so yeah, the second paper that we'll be briefly reviewing today was published the following year in 2022 in JAX, and again came out of Dr. Chuck Butler's group at MD Anderson in Houston. This paper is titled Novel Machine Learning Approach for the Prediction of Hernia Recurrence, Surgical Complication, and 30-Day Readmission after Abdominal Wall Reconstruction. And in this study, various supervised machine learning algorithms were employed to predict hernia recurrence, surgical site occurrence, and 30-day readmissions. Unlike the first paper we discussed, this study used supervised machine learning algorithms, and they incorporated clinical and surgical variables rather than CT images. Data for the models was obtained from their institutional hernia database and comprised data from 68 different surgeons. Sally, can you explain a little bit about how these models were developed and how they were evaluated?
1: Yeah, so I think there are a couple of important considerations when comparing this paper to the one that we wrote. Firstly, as you alluded to, this was not based off CT imaging. This was based on preoperative demographic data and operative demographic data as well. And then second these were machine learning models that were trained in a supervised fashion so in our study we trained these completely uh, without the assistance of knowing any information and these um this study um, looked at things that um you know ultimately we could weigh their importance in determining outcomes and then secondly you know they looked at things that had worked in the past in the data science literature in terms of machine learning algorithms and they tried nine different algorithms for each of these outcomes. And similar to what we did, they train on an 80-20 split. So 80% of the demographic information was comprised for training these models. And then 20% um, was for internal testing of the models. And then I think very interesting, they were able to use a permutation feature importance analysis, which uh, essentially allowed um, them to identify significant predictors for each of these outcomes. Again, this is supervised learning. So these are things that we could tell. For our work, we couldn't, you know, point to a part of the CT image and say, you know, this is what was contributing to a patient being at risk for a surgical site infection or pulmonary failure. But they were able to tease out some of this demographic data to really tell us what's important about um, the risk for each of these three things. So, Monica, will you talk a little bit about their results and what they found?
3: Sure. So, they used a total of 725 patients in this study, And their overall hernia recurrence rate was 12.8% surgical site occurrence was around 30% and 30-day readmission was 10.9% and for each of the outcomes different machine learning algorithms or models performed best so for hernia recurrence the generalized linear model performed best with an area under the curve of 0.71 for surgical site occurrence, this was best predicted by support vector analysis with an area under the curve of 0.75. And multiple adaptive regression splines best predicted 30 day readmission with an area under the curve of 0.74. Um, and the permutation feature analysis identified uh, unique factors that were predictive for each of these outcomes. So it identified four unique factors predictive of hernia recurrence, which included obesity, component separation. Bridged repair and rectus muscle violation. So, none of those are very surprising. There were 12 factors identified to predict surgical site occurrence, which included BMI, wound class, recurrent hernia, diabetes and pulmonary disease, and preoperative chemotherapy, among others. Predictors for 30 day readmission included violation of the GI or GU tracts, indication for repair, and previous abdominal surgery. Most notably, the machine learning models outperformed standard linear regression for all three outcomes. And I think the observation that machine learning algorithms can outperform traditional statistical techniques really just suggests that the relationships between some of these predictive variables are complex and nonlinear, and machine learning has great potential to better capture the impact of these variables. So we've discussed two very interesting papers, each using different machine learning algorithms and incorporating different cl- clinical information but both with some real success at predicting outcomes related to abdominal wall reconstruction. Dr. Henneford, what does the future hold with artificial intelligence and hernia, and where do we go from here?
2: Well, I think one thing's for sure is that it's here to stay. And I think that whenever I talk about this with surgeons, and sometimes I get some real pushback about, is this going to replace this? Is this going to replace decision-making? Is this going to be, we're going to plug patients in, and then it's going to spit out the the outcome of where... What operations someone should have where they should have it and those sorts of things and and my answer to that is no i mean i believe that this will augment surgeons much like all the information that we read the way we the new papers that come out those sorts of things it will add to our ability to take care of patients not going to replace surgeons it's not going to be able to do the operations and i think our individual skill sets training the hospital in which you work the patients themselves, what patients want, what how it impacts their families—all of that is some super complex modeling that we now do somewhat rote because we do this over and over again every day. And so, AI—I'm uh, super excited about it, and I think it's uh, it, it will make us better. And I and I, but I think one thing too, especially for the learners out there. You know, AI is not going to change your ability to make decisions on patients and perform a physical exam and examine someone's abdomen and these difficult bedside decisions that we have to make. And so you have to learn that. In examining 10,000 abdomens, I mean, you're going to develop your own AI in your head, and then you're going to develop your own algorithms, which will then tell you it needs to go to the operating room that a computer will never be able to do for you. And so... I'm super excited about this. I think that the the research in this, we need to dive into this, but be somewhat guarded about it. And and anyway, I, it is the future.
1: Dr. Agenstein it's that time of the day for our quick hits. So I'll turn it over to you.
2: Thanks, Sally.
0: So quick hits. Uh, first, uh, the use of both unsupervised and supervised AI algorithms can help predict surgical outcomes for patients undergoing abdominal wall reconstruction. Next, in the articles that we reviewed, CT images and preoperative demographics were independently used to develop deep learning models. So in the future, models can be developed using both of these, both the preoperative imaging in conjunction with the demographic data. Next, AI models can be used to supplement rather than supplant the knowledge and experience of surgeons. Risk stratifying patients with AI algorithms can affect the preoperative management of patients. And lastly, particularly high-risk patients may benefit from triage to high-volume centers to do complex abdominal wall reconstruction.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to our second episode. This is the Behind the Knife hernia team from Carolina's Medical Center reminding you again to dominate the day. Thank you very much.